As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Matt Goldman. And I'm Joelle Steiniger. Today we talked with Nathan Berry, founder of ConvertKit and author of Authority. What'd you guys think of this one? It was great to hear how he's used these info products and courses to fund the development of his software product, ConvertKit. And he talks about the growth of it and how he's had to make some tough decisions along the way of whether to invest and how much to invest and how to make sure that he gives it a fair shot. Yeah, it's also interesting that he uses his own product to build his list. And so he's been catering it to his needs and his needs are exactly his audiences. So it was cool to hear about his product development in that way. All right, let's get into it. 
We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Hover makes purchasing and managing your domain simple and easy. This week, I talked to Max of Why Decision about why he uses Hover. I was using Enom and GoDaddy for domain registrars, and I was looking for something different. I came across uh, Hover then. What I really liked about Hover was it was easy to use. I had a clean interface. I'm a designer by heart, so I like things like that. Go to Hover.com and use the code SATISFIEDCUSTOMERS to get 10% off your domain purchase today. HostGator is the easiest way to get your business up and running fast. Coordinator Kyler about the strangest support call he's ever had. He, he came into my chat and he said, hey, so my, my computer's been infected. I've been hacked. Uh, people are talking on my computer. I said, okay, cool. Let's talk about your people talking to you on the computer in a few minutes. What's, what's wrong with your website? Let's go with your website. Maybe there was a YouTube video in the background. Uh, maybe the website infected it. I don't know. So I created a ticket to our security team and I read the ticket later on. One of the best quotes from it was how the French government was out to get him and they were using his computer to talk to him, but he wasn't listening. We can't really help that. I mean, we try to say we have no scope of support. We can help everything. But that one of the things, you know, the French government's coming after you. I don't think we can do anything about that. Out of, out of, out of HostGator's hands at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Go to HostGator forward slash promo forward slash rocket ship to get 30% off today. You've heard me rave about CodeShip before. It's because they're an incredible team building an amazing product that makes my days happier and my code more reliable. Recently, they shipped an incredible new feature. It's called Parallel CI, and it allows for faster testing than ever before. Early access customers like Product Hunt have improved their development speed tremendously. If you haven't yet, tell your dev team to start a free trial. They have a super generous free plan, and they also offer 20% off three months to all Rocketship listeners. Sign up at codeship.com forward slash rocketship. So give us kind of the overview of ConvertKit. So ConvertKit is an email marketing platform for authors and bloggers. And basically, I found that all the off-the-shelf software like MailChimp and Aweber wasn't built for people trying to build audiences online and sell products. And so I set out to build a product just for people like me who wanted to build an audience and make money from it. So what's kind of the key differentiator here in the product from, say, a MailChimp? It really comes down to who it's built for. And so, you know, like a MailChimp or an Aweber, they're built for everybody, you know, from the cupcake shop to the the designer who just wants to stay in touch with their clients. And so they, they just have this, this really broad feature set. And so I started learning all these best practices of how to grow an audience quickly. You know, you should give out an incentive. You should have like email courses, follow-up sequences. And they were just such a pain in MailChimp in particular. And so I was like, well, what if we just have best practices by default? You know, that kind of became a big differentiator. Things like uh, I talked to people and nobody knew the conversion rate on their on their uh, email opt-in forms. Interesting. Because you didn't have it by default. You had to go set up something with Google Analytics and the tracking and all this stuff. And I was like, well, that's a really easy thing for software to figure out. So why don't we just tell you the conversion rate by traffic source, you know, for every form and landing page that you create through ConvertKit. And so there's a lot of things like that where we just do the right thing from the beginning and make it so the customer doesn't have to worry about that. And you've been able to fund ConvertKit through building these other products and getting use out of the products yourself, correct? I uh, started by writing books and, and before that I did 
you know, custom software design development as like a freelancer and contractor. But when I started ConvertKit, I put in $5,000 and the whole goal was to build it off of revenue because I knew that, well, basically I, I just had a really successful book launch and I had $50,000 or a little more like that had just come in in the last two or three weeks before I set down the path of ConvertKit. And I wanted to be really careful that I didn't just waste all that money before I gotten customers or I wanted to make sure I was building something that people wanted. And so I, I gave myself a tiny budget of $5,000 and used that to hire out the initial development. I'm a designer and, you know, I can do front end code and all that. So that certainly made my budget go further. But then for the next year and a half or so, we just worked off of uh, customer revenue. And at some point during the first couple of years of this, I think you locked down signups and had a, a invite process that you'd come through and you would manually onboard everyone through almost like a training seminar before they even got to use the product. How did that work? Yeah, that was an interesting experience. It, yeah, experiment. So I called that ConvertKit Academy. And my whole basis for building audiences, I guess getting people to buy products and pay attention to what I'm doing has been around education and training. And so I realized that basically selling an info product or, or a book had become really easy for me. Uh, and that's how I was able to do these big book launches. And, you know, that's how I was paying the bills. But I was having a lot of trouble selling ConvertKit, you know, selling a SaaS application. And so I tried to make the SaaS app more like the info product. And so I would do open and close launches. So I just take like 10 customers at a time. And so you get some urgency there. And then I'd focus really, really heavily on the education and making sure those customers were really successful, which was kind of the opposite of most SaaS apps where it's just like the dream is they just sign up and magically become successful and we never have to talk to them, you know, or like maybe they write into support once and we can answer it over email, but that's it. And so we went the opposite way where we had like, we get these 10 people on a Google Hangout together and work through everybody's questions and help with marketing advice. So a couple things came out of that, both good and bad. The, the good was that a bunch of people were really successful and got a lot of value out of it. And we definitely built um, some raving fans. Um, the bad thing was that all the messaging around it, and I, it, it took me probably four to six months to actually realize this, but all the messaging around it was focused on beginners like helping people get, you know, maybe those first 100 or first 1,000 email subscribers. And that's something we're really good at helping people with and ConvertKit's a great platform for, but they're not necessarily a good customer. You're going to do a lot of work in order to get that customer on, but their project might not work out. They might close down their site. You know, they haven't proven that they're in it for the long haul yet. And so you may take care of them perfectly, but then they'll cancel because their funds run, ran out or they're not actually going to write the book or, you know, any number of reasons that are out of your control. And so our messaging around that actually discouraged people who are much further along. And so one of the changes I made since then, after incorporating all that training into a more, I guess, standard SaaS signup process is that we started going after much bigger customers and still doing some of those high touch onboarding and that kind of process but doing it for customers who had email lists of 
like 30,000 subscribers or 100,000 subscribers. And basically we do the same amount of work, but add say $500 in monthly recurring revenue, bringing on one customer instead of $29. So I think that that process of like the high touch onboarding and the, you know, that kind of thing that we did with ConvertKit Academy could work. You just have to get the messaging perfect. So you're not scaring away who are ultimately your better customers. So I want to actually touch on something that you mentioned a few minutes ago that selling like info type products and eBooks had become easy for you and you were making really good money doing it. And when you transitioned into trying to build a SaaS app, you found it to be much harder, slower process, kind of a whole different ball game. Talk to us about the decision to like keep at it and put in that work versus knowing like when to stick with what's working or that. I think that that's something that's tough for all of us to know is have you put in enough work yet to call it or, you know, how, how do you know? Right. So I guess as I, I've had lots and lots of projects, you know, so I, I don't want people to get the idea that like the first things that I put out to sell online were wildly successful. So I've had tons of iPhone apps that I've built and all kinds of things that looking back were obviously were never going to work. But when I got into writing eBooks on software design, the first one made $12,000 the day it launched and I was blown away. And, and so the books just turned into this huge success and I could leverage them on top of each other and it was great. And so I had this decision point. Well, actually, when I got into working on ConvertKit, I was on this kind of this high of every project being wildly successful on top of the next one. And so I kind of expected that the SaaS app would be, you know, it'd be hard, but yeah, I thought it'd be wildly successful as well. And so, you know, when a year later we had customers and a, and a product, but not huge success, that was definitely hard. And so the decision that I made at that point or what I was thinking through is whether I wanted to run, I guess, like a little company that made a healthy salary. Uh, if I worked hard, I was able to pull in two hundred and like two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year off of selling the books. And then I knew that if I took it easy, put things on autopilot, I could make easily a hundred thousand dollars a year off of the books. And where I live in Boise, Idaho, that that's a fantastic salary, and that you know it's going to carry you on for a long time. So, like I'm sure. Most people have read the four-hour work week. And so I got to a point where I, if I wanted to, I could trim things back and live that life. But I decided that I wanted to build something much bigger. I wanted to build, I guess, what I'd consider a real company. And I just didn't see info products as the way to do that. The people I knew who were making, you know, who were hitting, say, like a million dollars in annual revenue off of info products were working really hard to do it. And it just wasn't the type of business that I wanted to build. And so SaaS was always, it just always had a big draw for me and my background is in software. And so I just, I just always wanted to be building software rather than just, I guess, telling people how to design better software. And so I struggled with that decision for so long of like take the easy path and make a good salary for a long time versus pour a bunch more money into ConvertKit and make it my full-time gig and try to grow it. And I guess it was about four months ago now that I made that decision and took ConvertKit, which was kind of the side thing that I was balancing with everything else that I was doing and made it the, the full-time gig. I gave it more capital than it badly needed. Growing on just revenue is a nice idea, 
And if you're successful from the beginning, then you can probably do that. But ConvertKit needed more capital. And so I put in another $50,000 and really just, I, I bet everything on ConvertKit, hired a larger team, started building things out more. And it's been really paying off, but it certainly has caused an amazing amount of stress in the process. I know you said you did a handful of like iPhone apps in the past and things, um, but this sounds like it was your first real SaaS app. You had this initial idea to grow it from revenue. That didn't work, but you saw something in it. The thing that I saw was how well it worked for me. And so I thought, okay, if ConvertKit's not making a lot of money and it ends up failing, what would I do? Would I shut it down? And I was like, well, no, I can't shut it down because it's been amazingly successful for building my email list. Like I, I built a, in, I guess, two years, I built an email list from zero to 30, 32,000 subscribers using ConvertKit and using all these techniques that I baked right into the product. And so I was like, well, there's no way I'm giving it up. You know, I can never go back to a MailChimp or even move to something like Infusionsoft. And so that kind of made me think like, okay, if I love this so much, there have to be other people who have the same problems that I do. And maybe I'm just not doing a, a good enough job reaching them. You know, and that could be because of messaging. It could be because I was, I guess, had it partially as this part-time thing. And so I guess I, I felt like I... I loved the product and I'd never given it a hundred percent of my attention. And that before I considered shutting it down or going some other, uh, some other direction that I had to, I guess, really give it my best job. And so that's, that's what I decided to do, but there weren't a ton of other outside indicators that like, you know, like growth numbers or things like that, that made it sound like ConvertKit would be a great thing to bet my savings on. So, I mean, it sounds like it was just really a gut feeling. Yeah, but, but it wasn't like a clear gut feeling. It was like I agonized over it for quite a while. Yeah, it's something that we've we've done similar with Hookfeed is trying to decide how it's going to grow, how you're going to fund it. You decide on a dollar amount and then maybe you hit that investment level and you have to decide, do I keep going? And it's largely a gut check. So you decided to put more money in and I'm imagining your role then changed on some level or you got help in sales or trying to reach these bigger clients. So did you have to set an aggressive sales goal to make sure that you could continue to invest beyond that point? Yeah. So I set aggressive sales goals. Um, I didn't quite hit it, but since making that change, we've grown, I should know this number, like 35 to 40% month over month, which has been really good. One of those months was 80%. And so that made me feel really good and knowing that things were going in the right direction. A huge thing that contributed to that sales success is, and this is ridiculously obvious in hindsight, but I set up a basic CRM system and actually did direct outreach on sales because I have this whole audience and you know this whole network of people that I know who would be good customers for ConvertKit. But I never followed up on things because I had this dream that like you know SaaS should sell itself. You know, you should be able to write a blog post and that should get you like 10 new customers or something. So the change that I made, and I just did this in Trello, like I set up a Trello board called ConvertKit Sales, is I'd be at a conference, like say MicroConf Europe, for example, and I'd talk to somebody and they'd say, like we'd have a conversation and I'd find out, oh, they're actually kind of a good fit for ConvertKit and they've been considering it. 
And so I, on my phone, after we finished that conversation, I just add them in to the list of people to talk to. And then gradually I move the cards across the columns from like, you know, two contacts to contacted, interested, you know, likely become a customer to they signed up. And then I just follow up with people and all that. And so after one of these conversations with somebody, my good friend, Ryan Delk, who heads up growth at Gumroad, he was right there. And after the person we were talking with walked away, he was like, Nathan, I've been trying to get you to do this for over a year. Like, and cause he saw me entering in their name to follow up with them. So really I just, I took a much more aggressive approach to sales and it wasn't anything revolutionary. It was like probably basic sales one-on-one of follow up with people, but um, it made a huge difference. Yeah. There's this, there's these ideals in SaaS that you can grow it totally self-serve and you don't have to worry about sales. And it's like you said earlier, there's this dream that you can grow just based on revenue, but in the early stages, it's not, you know, that likely. So I feel like lately, a lot of people have been discovering that SaaS is just like any other business and it requires sales, it requires early investment and requires hard work. Yeah, I think that's totally true. So what were you doing on the, I mean, you say you were following up. Did your message change as you talked to more and more people and as you were doing kind of these high touch sales relationship that possibly made your sign up easier or changed any of your messaging on the marketing side? Yeah, I definitely changed a lot of the messaging on the marketing side um, based on the feedback I get back because I was hearing those objections from people um, early on. So the first thing I learned is that people were having a really hard time with, uh, or I guess they were, they were thinking that ConvertKit was really small, simple software. And I think that was a fault of the, of the marketing site. Mm. And I, one thing that I found is, is the smaller your marketing site is, the smaller people think your software is. So, so are you saying that people didn't want a small, simple product or? Well, they did, but they were really worried that it would do one thing and one thing only. Okay. And that it didn't have the capability of MailChimp or something like that. Or they're like, you know, am I still going to have to use these other tools because you're not going to be able to meet all of my needs. And so having those conversations, I could say like, oh no, we have support for this. And like, no, seriously, I run a blog and info product business that makes a quarter million a year off of, you know, my ConvertKit account. And so I could do that in those conversations, but then it took building out the marketing site and listing out all the features and explaining how to use them um, for people to start, I guess, to start changing that perception of like, because I think it originally it was like, this is some cute little software that you have and it's probably useful, but I don't know if it's for me to, wow, this is really powerful and this can help me grow my business. So what would you say your time split is between your info products and ConvertKit? Let's see, I'd say most weeks it's like 95% on ConvertKit. But I still have to pay the bills because ConvertKit doesn't uh, certainly doesn't make enough money that I can draw a salary from. And because we hired three people, it loses money every month. So like this week, it was probably 50-50 because I did a, a book launch this week in order to uh, you know make some more money. But ideally, it's 95-5 so interesting to find the balance between two projects. It's something that we have to do between Rocketship and Hookfeed, and I know Michael's always you know, struggling to find the perfect balance, too. Anyways, this has been super interesting to learn about ConvertKit and, and how you balance everything and how you've you know tackled the slower growth that you don't hear about too much, uh, but it's really the reality for most people. So where can people keep up with you online? 
Yeah, so you can obviously check out ConvertKit and our blog there at convertkit.com. Um, but most of my writing is on nathanberry.com. Yeah, I send out more stuff over email than I do post on the blog. And so probably the best place to start would be there's a free email course that I did on product launches that people really love. And that's at nathanberry.com slash launch. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And make sure to check out our app discount section where we feature discounts from amazing companies like Treehouse, Wistia, Woo Themes, all giving you exclusive discounts for being a Rocket Ship listener. So go to rocketship.fm forward slash essentials. And I got me some hoes Started rocking the sleeve I can't buy with no jaws You know how I do it Can close on my toes oh. I ain't rich yet But you know I ain't broke I. So if I see it I like it by that from the start I. I'm with some white girls And I love them the coca Like they OT Double OT Like I'm KD Smoking OG and you know me, my two threes and my gold teeth Bitch, you smiling, bitch, you see me from the nosebleed I'm the new three and I change out to my new D Why'd I have a song? When I started balling, I was young You gon' think about me when I'm gone I need that money like the ring I never want I want Saucing, saucing, saucing on you I'm Lace up, learn a lesson